HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. This program was sponsored by White Oak Pastures. The Harris family has lived and farmed White Oak Pastures for 145 years. They are committed to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. Their mission? We take care of the land and the herd and they take care of us. For more information about their cattle and their farm, visit whiteoakpastures.com. Hello, Greenhorns. This is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio. I am coming to you live from Sacramento at this time, where it has just finished raining. Thank goodness, and all the fruit trees are in bloom. And uh, today, today is a good day. Now, who's on my phone with me today? I don't know who's on with me. Who are you? This is uh, Jenny Burton calling you from the other side, uh, down on the coast in Gouldsboro, Maine. Holy smoke. And how's the weather over there? Well, uh, we, um, we started the day down here on the coast at about 10 degrees, and now we're up to about 30. Um, it was down in the single digits last night, and... Uh, so things are melting off. We have just a little bit of snow on the ground and um, clear skies. The uh, horses are starting to shed, and the and the cashmere goats are starting to let their fibers go. And so, um, it's feeling like a nice nice February day. Well, that's such a nice thing when you've got clean, fresh snow and fuzzy muzzles. One right. of the benefits of horse farming. <laughs> they. Uh, <clears throat> with the uh, the fjord horses, though, they uh, they definitely shed out pretty quick, and uh, so if you uh, if you tre- treasure your black clothing, uh, fjord horses aren't the horses for you. So, all right, so there you are in Maine, and you're farming with horses at Mandala Farm, and I found my little cheat sheet. I'm sorry, that was slow. Um, everybody I know who's who's been in Down East World says how wonderful you are. Just so you know, the love is very big and wide. Well, um, and uh, we, uh, we had Sophia Bates on the radio the other day, and she was singing your praises as well. Oh, great! So, um, great. Well, uh, Sophia was was here a bunch of years back, and uh, yeah, she's a uh, she's an inspiring farmer on the West Coast for certain, and uh, helped us along quite a bit in those years. And uh, so it's hard that things are so far obviously between us, um, 
but uh, yeah, she's she has great motivation and, and awesome skills. So um, and uh, but we um we've been trying to do this farming for uh, it'll be ten years on February twentieth. Um, that's our farm anniversary, and um, when we started here in Gouldsboro, and uh, and a lot has definitely changed since since the beginning. Um, we uh, we just I burning some stuff in the cook stove, and I we were cleaning out the filing cabinets and looking at our revenue for 04 compared to <laughs> what our expenses are here in 012. It's, uh, it's pretty wild how how much we've grown. So how quickly we grow. How quickly, how quickly things happen. So let's yeah. lay out a little bit for the folks listening. What's your operation and, and, and how long did it take to get you there and what's the market like uh, in coastal Maine for the products you're growing? Well, um, here we are uh, we're on Scudic Peninsula, which is just across from Frenchman's Bay to, uh, um, to Acadia National Park, the other section, the large section of Acadia National Park where uh, Bar Harbor is and so our market uh, is our peninsula, um, but also to the um, to the summer markets of Bar Harbor, uh, primarily. On um, where Bar Harbor is, it's Acadia National Park. It's also referred to as Mount Desert Island. Um, so over on Mount Desert Island, there's probably about 180 restaurants, food service places. Um, we only uh, work closely with about seven restaurants over there, um, and. Uh, what we're producing is uh, three to four acres in mixed vegetables um, that we cultivate with the fjords, um, as well as uh, we raise, we're a state-licensed poultry producer, so we fall under what's a grower-producer exemption, which allows us to, to raise and slaughter right here on the farm and sell on the farm, but also um, off-farm. And so um, that's part of our, our product is uh, fresh poultry processed once a week in the summer months. We also raise Tamworth pigs. Uh, I just delivered another 15 to the butcher uh, yesterday. So this winter we we reared uh, 34 feeder pigs for um, for our spring and uh, summer inventory out of our walk-in freezer. And uh, we are we raise the pigs uh, primarily um, on grain, but we also uh, supplement them with squash, other root crops. Uh, I try to hold out um, on apples as late as I can, but um, but that's just really a, a small supplement. Being down on the coast here, we are relatively isolated from other farming endeavors, and so I'm um, trying to get uh, the gleaning from other bigger farm operations or or similar farm operations a little bit more difficult. So that's uh, but we raise the Tamworth pigs, and um, and we keep uh, about 150 laying hens, so we have fresh eggs. The uh, the sheep and goats are Primarily for um, for fiber, although we do we do um, eat some of them every now and again. The uh, goats are cashmere goats uh, that we're combing out for the fiber, and the um, the sheep are just a motley crew of because uh, um, we like having them around at this point. We keep quite a few more sheep, but now it's just a motley crew. And then we have our our legendary uh, milk cow Annabelle, who's been our our farm cow for about nine years. We've been off and on milking her so. That's that's when you know you're succeeding, and you have your own cream. Um, yeah, could you reflect a little bit on the the market the market flow moving from a vegetable into more diversified animal situation, and and how that looks um, from your from your bookkeeping end? 
Sure. The, um, I mean, uh, vegetables is, uh, is the most profitable uh, um, point of, of the, uh, the bookkeeping. You, you, you don't have your inputs are so much less um, than, than you do with any of the other uh, items. And that's also because you're not trying to maintain something uh, 12 months of the year. You know, obviously you go fallow um, or cover crop or however way you want to look at it. But the, uh, having the, the diverse product allows us to, um, uh, I think it built, the, the vegetable cells, sales build the pork sales, which then also build the, um, the, uh, the chicken sales. Uh, chicken is probably second in line to um, profitability. Uh, again, you, you, we're not maintaining breeder stock um, with the chickens. You know, we're getting them as day-old chicks shipped in. So they, um, uh, the chicken probably falls in the second category. And then, uh, and then the, the pigs um, uh, are profitable, but they are expensive to raise. Uh, when, we're, when we're birthing piglets, you know, we, we realize that every piglet that we lose in mortality is, um, is right off the bat with uh, selling them, um, you know, that's, that's a, a, about $100 a piglet if we lose one. Uh, at um, you know at birth, and so we spend a lot of time in the barn trying to keep our mortality as low as possible because um, uh, we need, we have it figured out. I think we need eight, <clears throat> either six or eight piglets a year per sow to just cover that sow's cost of of living. And um, so, uh, but in the end, when you mix all of those things up, we you know the farm is is fuller. The the um, the intent of our operation is is more complete, and so it, it, uh, and we also, we like to interact with the pigs. We, we, uh, I can't say I like to process poultry, but I do process the poultry, but, um, uh, and the, and with the sheep and goats as well, they, they, um, their value as meat is much less, but the sheep and goats for us have been an excellent, uh, clearing tool and also pasture management. So, um, so they have values that don't just end up in when, when the item is sold. And are you using your hogs to clear brush with, or, or are they in a barn situation, or what? In the winter time, they must be inside. Well, um, we uh, we keep we keep them out. We we've uh, we've done it both ways. Uh, I definitely have reared them as feeder pigs completely outside um, all winter. Uh, I use um, I used to have a bunch more homemade huts, and now I've slowly been getting a porta hut situation, which is more like a a culvert, a big galvanized, um, keeps the wind out completely, and they're pretty durable. And so um, <clears throat> with those guys, but the problem outside is that here on the coast of Maine, we don't keep a constant freeze, and so that freeze-thaw, I end up with a serious um, uh, mud issue, and so it's a constant battle with bedding and trying to keep them in, in better ground. And so the first group of pigs this winter, they um they went uh, the beginning of January, uh, actually they went in December up to the butcher. So they were outside from when they were born this summer straight through. It was we actually had a very mild winter. Their conditions kept really well. I was able to keep them outside. The later batch I ended up moving into the barn for the last um uh for the last couple months of their of their lives here. And what I have come to do is put them in the barn on concrete, and then I bed them in, in in hay and straw and, and uh, sawdust and wood chips, and then I load them up into the trailer, 
get them out of the barn, and then I scrape the barn out, and then I, I set them up again. So I'm able to keep a, a much better environment in the barn, but also um, so I, I kind of do a little bit of both. I, I think that the, having that barn and changing the bedding out is probably the best the best case scenario on how to how to handle them so that they're that you can keep them dry and and you know relatively warm. We don't try to keep our barn hot. We don't want them to catch a cold if the barn doors are open, but um, but that uh that we can just keep them dry. So. And what are your regs around uh, chickens and how many are allowed to do on the farm in Maine? Well, uh, for the grower producer exemption that we fall under, we can do zero to to twenty thousand. Um, and that, and all of those birds, we only do about 1,200 or so birds a season, just to kind of put a little size on it. But that, that 1,200 birds, uh, we raise them and process them here on the farm, which then allows us to sell them to any market we want. We get inspected once a season by the state uh, um, as far as our facility goes. So that allows us then to move them out if we wanted to... Um, if we wanted to bring other people's birds in and process them, then that would take our, our exemption away, and then we'd actually would have to have a state uh, a state employee standing uh, at the slaughterhouse for um, you know any processing that we do. So we have uh, and a little so while back, Maine had the grower producer exemption was a thousand birds or less, and then there was no oversight by the state. And that was used to be just considered off-farm sales or on-farm sales. At one point, they considered the tailgate of a farmer to be extension of their farm. But then things had kind of gotten a little murky and changed, and, and then they back, backtracked. And so we just stepped up to the, to the um, having that annual inspection by the state. Uh, you know, we, our, our space um, qualified prior to them even needing to come out anyway. So we um that's 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 what we ended up doing was jumping up to that that zero to twenty thousand bird level. And you had good clarity with the state department of ag, and it was pretty it was pretty clean and uh, obvious how you could. Yeah, do um, all what that. I ended up. Uh, um, short answer is yes. I had a I had a very good experience with um, the department of ag. The uh, the you know the initial question went out to. Um, to them, and uh, and they called me back, and they sent me a set of plans on or some sketches on, you know, what 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 meets their criteria, and um, I made sure that we did, and um, and had gotten it all ready, and then when they came up for an inspection, they were that that first inspection, the actual the um the state poultry vet came as well as the inspector, and uh, we we spent a couple hours walking through, talking about lots of different things to do with poultry, and and just processing rooms. Um, in general, and uh, it was um, yeah, they've been uh, they've been very helpful, and um, uh, as far as that's as so far good to as, hear. Yeah, it, so it, it was good, I, and I told them right up front. I said, you know, I'm a little nervous. I usually feel this as more of a regulatory interaction than 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 a you know a, a fostering of of uh, you know of ideas and um, and okay. uh, process than more. And they they were that way, and um, yeah, I was uh, I was. It made me uh, a little bit less apprehensive to give them a call. So, so, so that's nice that this, the the ag department is acting more like a coach than a regulator, at least at first. <laughs> I mean, it, in in our case, I I you know um 
it, they definitely were, and the, um, the the state inspector that comes every year has been very helpful for us. Um, again, I don't think that we fall into any gray areas that might be questionable where where that might change their position on interacting with us. Um, you know, the uh, dairy here in Maine is a is kind of another level where us, us smaller farmers, um, you know, what they want us to have as far as space is uh, and having isolated spaces is potentially um, burdensome because of the uh, j- just the cost of, of, of building all that infrastructure for, I mean, we have one family cow, so if I was going to then turn that cow into a, a commercially viable dairy operation, you know, what does that really mean? And um, that's a question, actually, I, I'm going to be uh, bringing up with them this, uh, this spring because we are, we are potentially moving in, into that direction of having a few more cows cool. getting the dairy. That's exactly my next question. What's your next big move? Well, um, the uh, and what is and what's the moves for the region? Like, what's the how does what you're moving correspond to what other people are doing, and what opportunities are starting to emerge there? The um, I, I, where we are in Hancock Hancock County is is um, is very small in the farm category as far as uh, number of farms, number of land being you know amount of land being tilled compared to Waldo County, uh, Penobscot County, Piscataquis County. Um, you know, that, that's where the, as far as Maine goes, that's where the big F is in farming. Uh, in our area, we are being successful um, by being small and diverse um, because we get a lot more direct sales in our area because we are closer to a bigger population right here on the coast. Um, and so... The direction that we're moving in is uh, is to well one we always try to try to keep as the forefront is more integration of our horses into what we do. Um, we've been we've been trying to uh, realize that idea from you know O2 every season trying to integrate them more into how we manage our vegetables how we how we move things around the farm um, so that they can become more of a part of it. Now, my next thing is going to be nothing about the horses in the sense that, well, if we're going to get into the dairy, I have, a, I have the um, processing room I need to finish up. Um, we are in the process of a, of a composting heavy use area that's a, an NRCS um, cost share so that we can, uh, we can manage our compost a little bit better. Right now, it's, it's, uh, we don't, we're not covering it, so we're, we're, we're definitely losing some of the quality of our compost. And since we are, we have so much of our inputs generated right here on the farm, we have the potential of having much higher quality compost because we don't have to buy all of that. You know, here in Maine, a lot of folks buy in chicken manure from other operations, bigger operations, where we're having, we're saving out all our pig manure, um, our cow manure when, when the cows, the other couple cows that are in the barn, uh, that horse manure is getting composted, the uh, poultry manure from our, our Laying houses, um, so uh, so that that heavy use area is one thing that we're kind of dealing with right now. Um, and as far as the the area goes, I think that there's a, there's just that continuing um, growth of small uh, farms that that's happening. I don't think that that right around this area there's one particular trend that's going on, other than more people are wanting to do it. And um, which is a great thing. And so, to our farmers markets that that um, 
that we oversee, you know, there's a lot more people wanting to participate. Um, there's more little farmer, other farmers markets that are popping up in the area. You see more folks, you know, peddling on the side of the, the road their, their farm products, which is also great. And so um, I think that there's just more people trying to, uh, to um, sell their, you know, sell what they're harvesting off their land. So, so more is better. Um, just a couple for people who are not so familiar with coastal Maine, the products that are grown there are obviously blueberries and vegetables, and, but uh, people may not know that there's also a very lively aquaculture business going on. Frenchman's Bay has oysters up further along. Grand Bananas, a lot of uh, seaweed harvesting. Uh, what else? What am I forgetting to talk about? You guys have the beautiful. Yeah, I mean, you um, acres. yeah. The uh, there's the um, there's oysters. There's a lot of rope mussels that happen in this area. Um, a little bit further around, there's uh, you know, there's some more um, uh, uh, penned fish pens that are that are happening. But the uh, the um, there's definitely in our on our peninsula right here. There's there's a few folks that are um, seaweed harvesters that are bringing product in that way. But mussels is also a big um, roping of mussels is uh, is quite big. And um, I mean that's the other part of coastal Maine is that you know obviously fishing and and the the, the fishing industry is is huge here. And um, there's a big potential I think as for uh, folks that are that are fishing to transition into some of this. Now, coastal Maine has a lot of field. There's a lot of land that's, that has potential, and a lot of it just gets mowed for view sheds um, that's really not being harvested for their hay, uh, partially because there's not that many farmers still left in the area. The other part is that our weather conditions. The, um, there's an old-timer down in, uh, on the other side of um, the county from us here uh, who's in his 80s, and he kept a notebook in his pocket. He said, since he was a boy, and he he was a hay farmer, and um, he told me that uh, back in the early days, you know, 30 years or better ago, they were getting three weeks of consistent haying weather right here on the coast. He could bring up ex make excellent hay for about a three week window. Now we're we're really lucky at times if we can get those four days in a row to make hay here without getting um, an afternoon shower or having a heavy fog roll in, you know, um, on the coast. And so that's, that's part of the, the challenge for, for around here is that, sure, we can wait to much later in the season to try to cut some hay, but you're going to get much poorer quality. You're going to lose your seed by that point. Um, you're going to end up with just, just a real stemmy harvest. And so um, uh, the, the hay has is, is, uh, is, is got a lot of potential here, and I think that some of the farming, believe it or not, um, if some of the, the fishermen uh, were were interested in, in making some hay um, and working it out with their fishing, I think would be a great um, blossom of uh, activity for some of these these fields that just just have sat and sat over the years. They get mowed, so they're not they're not getting brush growing up through them, but they but they um, they really aren't getting utilized. That sounds like a good plan. Uh, I want to make sure to tell you about the seed circus that we're planning up at Common Ground Fair in September. There's going to be a multi, multi, multimedia tent of fun things for kids during the day. Uh, I want to make sure that if you have any call-outs or organizations or 
grant programs or people who helped you along that you get to tell about them and suggest to those who are considering farming in Maine how they might do that the best? Yeah, um, absolutely. The, uh, you know, we, we definitely had utilized over the years the, the Soil Conservation Association when here in Maine that we found them to be real helpful. Same thing with the cooperative extensions that offer. MOFC has been an excellent resource um, to us. Uh, neither Sarah nor I did a um, straight apprenticeship um, with, through MOFCA, but, um, but the, uh, we get quite a few folks that work for us in the summertime through the apprentice program, and anyone that's looking to get started, they have a, have a wealth of, um, of resources there to help connect people with uh, the type of farming that they're interested in, and they get a chance to meet the farmers and see if the you know personalities work and their and their processes work for for folks and that's that I think has been a an excellent way for farmers to young farmers to make the step or older folks you don't have to be young to turn into a farmer. Um, the other thing that's that's starting out is that uh, we actually just have started a a nonprofit of our own called Farm Tomorrow, and we are uh, this season will be our our startup season where we're going to be offering quite a few workshops here at our farm on draft horse um, use as well as trying to integrate with other farms to act as the, uh, the bridge to tie some more um, educational opportunities uh, here in coastal Maine, not just in coastal Maine, but here in Maine for, uh, for folks interested in, in learning different farming methods or practices, um, draft power, as well as uh, some smaller tractor operations. Uh, we've been starting to connect with the Antique Tractor Association here in Maine. You know, there's a lot of far older timers, if you will, that um, have a wealth of knowledge that are uh, just enjoying their retirement years with, uh, with some of the, uh, the equipment that would be perfectly sized for the size farm that we have, but also what I would think a lot of folks are very interested in doing, you know, the, the, um, the 10 to 40-acre farm, you know, a few acres in vegetable production, uh, some grazing, um, and that, uh, that I think that the, uh, the tractor folks have, have a lot to offer us, us folks on, on figuring out some of this older equipment as well as sourcing it out because we don't, we don't need to go out and buy the latest and greatest, that there's a lot of stuff still sitting on, in barns and on the, the stone walls that would be very productive and, and bring a lot more food to the table. Well, we, we, we can't get off the phone without making one more plug, which is, um, Emily has gone through and documented your all-in-one Annie for FarmHack. It sounds like we should be talking FarmHack together. We'll do that off the air, but um, we just oh. want to briefly tag uh, the all-in-one, what's it called? Jenny? Annie? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. You guys, you guys say that again to me. Oh. Weren't you part of the team, or was it Darcia Farm? There, It's a... Um, a cultivator that you modified, and now it's painted red. And Sophia has it going out west. No, um, I no, I um, I don't think Sophia's Sophia's been talking to me about that. I didn't help her make that um, up, but maybe she she uh, she she brought some ideas along with her with her cultivator. We talked about some of the cultivation design and um, in the way things. You know what I thought, but uh, but no, that that's definitely her her brainchild and the um, the machinist that she's been working with out there. 
I think there's a lot of potential for those relationships, and I'm really glad to hear that you've got energy for it, too. So I'll be bothering you, and I I thank you so much. We'll link to your Farm Tomorrow program off our blog and from the radio thing, and thanks for joining. Well, thank you very much. Thank you all listening. This is Greenhorn Radio, Heritage Radio Network. We are happy to be here. Bye.